From the massive studios in Raleigh, North Carolina, this is the Cloudcast with Aaron Delp and Brian Bracely, presented by a Cloud Guru, bringing you the best of cloud computing from around the world. Good morning, good evening, wherever you are. Welcome back to the Cloudcast. Uh, we're coming to you live from the massive Cloudcast studios here in Raleigh, North Carolina. Last podcast of 2017, Brian. How you doing? I'm good. It's uh, it's been a good year, you know. Made it through, made it through the holidays, made it through Christmas, and uh, it actually snowed for like two minutes here in Raleigh this morning. So I think we got our winter weather out of the way. It's good. Things yeah, are good. that's right. <laughs> and you know what? It, it wasn't enough that there wasn't the usual run on bread and and milk and you know all that stuff at the grocery store. So we're we're good. Yeah. So we're we're all good. And now we're in the we're in that week where like nobody's really working. Nobody really knows what day it is. No one knows what time it is. It's just kind of like a it's like a floater week. So it's good good to do a what are we going to do like a two and a half three hour podcast this morning? Yes, that's right. Yeah, just to keep everyone entertained because they have nothing else to do this week. That's right. Um, <laughs> I'm going to be watching a lot of college football. How about you? I am too. I uh, so so. Here's my idea. So you know how we generally have a whole bunch of um, like nice people, like the folks at O'Reilly and some of the other events, Linux Foundation, like will give us free passes to their events because they're like, oh, you guys are sort of like media and stuff. So I think if we talk about college football for maybe like two or three minutes here. Maybe we can figure out a way to get media passes to like the college football playoff games. All right, I'm in. All right, so because uh, <laughs> it's your team, it takes well, it's, it's, it's your team. You know, like they might get to Atlanta. It's pretty close. Like we got to figure out a way to finagle ourselves into that game. Yeah, well, and and here, here's the biggest thing I want to know. You know, college football talk for a second. So, uh, every, you know, some know, some don't. I'm I'm Clemson alumni, and of course, Clemson fan, and. Clemson playing in the Sugar Bowl, and they pull the late game, and the West Coast pulls the early game. What the hell? Yeah, I don't know what that's I'm gonna be. About. I'm going to be up to like 2 in the morning. <laughs> I, know. I know, I know. I mean, the only good news is like you don't have to do anything the next day, so you won't be functional. I mean, you wouldn't be functional anyways, but uh, yeah, true. yeah, there's nothing worse than a game, but a game that ends at 2 in the morning. So, But yeah, I don't understand why they're doing that thing. It's got to be like a new. It's got to be like a New Orleans thing. There's got to be like a law like games can't be played in New Orleans too early in the day because people aren't sober enough or something like that. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. All right. So there. Hopefully that was enough talk, and maybe we can get some media passes now. That's right. Exactly. Um, exactly. Where are we at with Krispy Kreme donations for uh, North Carolina Children's Hospital? We are. Uh, we're still right around fifteen hundred dollars. So uh, we're about. You know, I think we set a goal of around three thousand this year. Sometimes we we bump it up if things are up a little bit. But uh, you know, the donations have been really nice so far, uh, folks. You know, if you want to make a donation, again, really simple. Uh, upper right corner of the Cloudcast.net website or uh, CloudRise.com slash the Cloudcast.net. So all donations are uh, are always welcome. And uh, you know, it's we're, we're now into the reality of we may have to uh you know break out our running shoes a little bit before that are, are you gonna go like are you gonna go completely cold turkey again this year I, I so i don't know i was running for a little while and then i stopped and i need to start back and i don't know so i haven't made that determination yet i i will admit last year running it completely cold um was wasn't too bad. Yeah, you know, right. I, it wasn't it wasn't nearly as bad as I thought it was going to be. I couldn't walk for probably another day or two, you know, after the race. But I thought it was going to be a lot worse. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and for anybody who anybody who's like, what in the hell are those guys talking about? We um, if you go out to the Cloudcast Net website, which some of you most of you probably don't ever go to. 
because you listen to the stuff on the podcast and you listen to it through iTunes or Stitcher or whatever, uh, we did write a history of what we do with the with the donut run, um, sort of long form thing. So if you're if you're interested, you want to read, go back and uh, take a look at that. It's got some videos of us doing it and explains the stupidity and explains like Aaron's crazy uh, habit of going and having a, a, a gigantic milkshake after doing the runs and all that kind of stuff. 3,000 calories before lunchtime, just so everyone knows. 2,400 in donuts and another 600 in the cookout milkshake afterwards. Yeah. (laughs) And then I go home and pass out for the rest of the day. Exactly. Which is true. I I really do do that. Um, (laughs) So also, you know, if we get this out in time, because again, I I really am in that state of limbo. I don't know what the date is and how many days we have left. If you get the donation in by the end of the year, of course, tax deductible here in the United States. That's right. That's right. So we don't know what next year's taxes are going to look like. So uh, yeah, get it in before uh, before you no longer can do donation or you no longer can take deduction. So get that in. Listen, man, um, before we jump into sort of our our year end predictions and sort of wrap up and everything, did you have any kind of favorite Cloudcast related moments this year? I know a couple of years like years ago, you like somebody ran into you in like Cabo San Lucas or somewhere like on a beach and they had a, they had a Cloudcast <laughs> t shirt or something. Or oh, and, and, and ironically enough, I'm wearing that exact same t shirt right now. Um, so so I will say that yeah, so I ran into somebody in Cancun. I was wearing one of the Cloudcast t shirts and they were like, oh my gosh, you you know you know the Cloudcast. I'm like, well, yeah, kind of. Um, <laughs> so it's been interesting. Uh, I hadn't been to as many events this year. Um, but for me still, uh, is, you know, there's been multiple customer meetings or, you know, I'll be working in the booth or doing, you know, at trade shows and, and I'll just be kind of talking to somebody and you could kind of see somebody like, you know, it's like the gopher thing, their head pops up and they kind of look around and I'm like, Oh no. <laughs> and it'll usually end up being uh, somebody from the show who, you know, doesn't recognize me, especially since I've had the beard for a while now. And, but I, someday I need to get around to social media and update it everywhere. You know, Cause I still think a lot of them are like, you know, my headshot from Citrix, which is, I don't know, you know, two, three jobs ago at this point. Um, so no one knows what I look like anymore, but they, they, they tend to recognize the voice, which is scary. Yeah. The, the, the voice thing was interesting. I think we were at serverless conf in, in, uh, in Austin and we were standing in a big crowd and, and you and I were just talking just to ourselves and somebody literally turned around and they were like, Oh my gosh, it, you, that, it's you guys. I, I'm used to having you in my ears, in my head, and now you're you're standing right behind me live, and that was kind of a cool moment. Uh. Yeah. Now, but I will say this related to to the serverless conference. I would actually say, from an events standpoint, um, I actually think the serverless conference was a favorite moment for me this year. It's sort of related to the podcast in that um, you know we were there and we had the serverless cast there, and but but for me meeting that community and that community, um, you know, just being really just a bunch of doers and really doing some really amazing differentiated stuff. Um, for me, one of the favorite moments of this year was just really getting involved in there and, and kind of watching it from afar, you know, while I'm not maybe an active participant in the serverless community per se, just watching all of that and the differences they're making, um, is really amazing and, and really fun part of everything. Yep. Yep. Agreed. Agreed. And, uh, yeah, all the stuff that goes on with the voice first stuff and what's going on with Alexa and all those other things are interesting offshoots and all. So definitely, definitely a, a community to, to keep an eye on uh, going forward. So listen, uh, real quick before we, before we get into it, one last piece of housekeeping, uh, want to thank all of our sponsors for the year, everybody who has sponsored the show or, you know, really kind of helped us make it 
happen and so forth. Obviously, a big thank you to A Cloud Guru, who's been kind of our primary sponsor for really the second half of the year. Uh, but also a big thank you to both Datadog and Media Temple, who sponsored shows earlier in the year, and um, you know, really just been you know good people. And you know, whether it's you know, sponsoring the show or folks like O'Reilly or the Linux Foundation who helps us get into events and, and sometimes bring the show on the road and everything. Big thank you to uh, to all of them. So um, thank you to everybody who, who's been kind of a, a partner of the Cloudcast this year. Yeah, yeah, it's been it's been amazing um, for us. You know, in the beginning, we were surprised anyone ever wanted to even listen to us. And then we were surprised anyone wanted to talk to us and be on the show. And then we were surprised when people actually wanted to help out. Right, um, with exactly. the show. And so it's, it's been a, an amazingly fun ride uh, helping with the, the community over the years. And so a huge, huge thank you to our sponsors. Yep. Yep. So this is, uh, this is always the show where we do kind of a quick rundown of, of where the show is, sort of a state of the show real quick. And I, I end up, this is like the one show of the year that I'm kind of a numbers nerd on. And, you know, we try and track what's going on. It gives us a sense of if we're doing any good or, you know, if people like things or trends and so forth. So um, I thought, thought I'd throw out a couple of numbers for people. Um, so this is going to end up being our 52nd show of the year. Uh, I think that's the most we've ever done in one year. Uh, last year, I think we did 50. So we actually did 52, basically literally one show a week. Um, I think we took a few off and somehow we, we doubled up a couple, but 52 shows. So that's a, it's a new record for us. Um, we had over a million, uh, million listens this year. So thank you to everybody who listens and tells a friend and rates it on iTunes. And uh, it's our first year ever hitting uh, over a million listens in a year. So that's a, a really nice milestone. Um, we, and it's uh, been interesting too. So, so again, you know, we, we, we love tracking stats the best that we can. Yeah. And it's so funny. It's over, over 1 million listings in the sources we can track. Right. It, right. it is amazing to be how many sources and syndication and, and things get out there and, and how much is trackable and how much quite frankly, isn't trackable as well. So, you know, 1 million listings that we can track, um, right. which is right. just an, an amazing figure, and again, thank you to everyone for that. Right, right. Uh, we and we and we have learned a lot that podcast uh, podcast analytics are are generally horrible, which is kind of amazing given how much people listen to podcasts and how much people are getting their news and their their politics and their sports and everything from those things. But uh, definitely an area that could could improve. Um, the other stat that, that was sort of interesting, or you know, again, kind of goes along with the listens, is we were uh, we found out that that iTunes tracks sort of their top whatever top one hundred, top two hundred. We were we were in the top one hundred and tech for you know a lot of the year and what's interesting is i mean there is a lot it's sort of anything that has to do with tech everything from like fixing your tesla to listening to ted talks to you know keynotes from apple shows and so forth so to be included in that group was uh was pretty cool it was a really nice nice honor and again all these things always go back to just the audience and the community being awesome and telling people and listening regularly and and all that stuff so that part is very cool um couple other things that we uh that we always track and this is just you know us sort of figuring out you know where our where our guests have been we um we always track how much our guests uh have gotten in terms of funding whether it's vc funding or m&a funding and uh and we hit another milestone this year um, our guests took in they, they reached eight billion dollars in uh both you know money that have come in through m&a for them or you know being acquired and so forth so every year it sort of stacks up a little bit but we actually uh we reached another uh another milestone or they reached another milestone of eight billion dollars which is pretty cool i think last year we were just shy of seven billion or just around seven billion so yep you know, mm-hmm. decent year we had four of our uh four of our guests this year uh were acquired so uh deus was acquired by microsoft uh black duck was uh, acquired by a uh, uh you know private equity firm called synopsis uh skipbox uh the folks uh, were 
you know, little company, startup company, sort of our first serverless uh, company that got acquired. We're uh, acquired by the good folks at Bitnami. And then uh, IronIO um, wasn't directly acquired by Oracle, but sort of indirectly ended up at Oracle going through private equity again. So, you know, four companies um, changed hands and, um, you know, definitely a, a change in the landscape of, of, uh, of M&A and, and VC funding. But we'll get into that part later. Yeah, yeah. I was just going to say it'll be interesting to see how those numbers compare next year because uh, VC funding and M&A in general is is definitely a topic that we're going to be talking about here. Yeah, yeah. Um, and the other the other one I wanted to bring up too, uh, lastly, was because I just think. And it's also something we're going to be talking about, uh, you know, just voice and, and voice skills in general. But but we have an Alexa skill. Um, yeah. And it was, uh, you, you, again, combination of efforts through A-Cloud Guru. Um, they were uh, extremely helpful and, and they, they really uh, helped us uh, bring an Alexa skill to market. Um, and so there is, if you go out and search on it, and there's a link in the show notes as well. Um, but there is the Cloudcast uh, through Alexa as well. So yet another avenue. Oops, no, wait, hold on. I got to shut off Alexa. There we go. I, I, I muted her before she she piped up. Sorry about that. I forgot to mute my Alexa before we started recording. I always forget. Um, <laughs> but but that was a fantastic uh, little bit of technology and something we're super, super proud of. And, and huge thanks to the Cloud Guru folks for that. Yep. Yep. So, yeah, we're everywhere. We are. Uh, we, we've always joked around. We want to be everywhere. We're now everywhere. So. Very cool. Well, where do you want to start, man? Let's. Uh, you want to. You want to dive into. Oh, one last thing. Um, for anybody who's like, hey, you know, you guys are going to make predictions. Big deal. Like, you know, who, who do you you think you are making predictions? We uh, we've actually done this for about four or five, six years, maybe now. So if you ever are curious about uh, how bad our predictions are, uh, we'll put the link in the show notes to uh, the last uh, five or so years of predictions we've made. I, I think we've done a reasonably good job of predictions. Obviously, we get some wrong, but uh, if you want to go back and listen to those shows, they're in the show notes as well. We're probably around Lee Corso level. Yeah, there you go. Comes to predicting. There you go. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> well, where do you want to get started? Where Which isn't get... saying much for them. No, 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 no. <laughs> Although, man, we need some Cloudcast headgear. That's what we need. Yeah, exactly. All um, right. Why don't we start with um, the the mergers and acquisitions? You have some tech stock prices as well, but I, I kind of wanted to dig into the mergers and acquisitions just solely because we already started talking about it a little bit. Yeah. Um, for me, I, I will say this, you know, a kind of a trend in general for the year. And, and it's something we definitely felt, um, although it there was one or two articles actually published about it towards the end of the year. But we, I, th- I feel like we felt it in the market earlier in the year. The, the VC funding just just kind of dried up. Right. Um, and I didn't know if it was, it went to other areas because, you know, we tend to be emerging tech and infrastructure and, and cloud kind of things. And we were just kind of wondering, Hey, did that, all that VC funding, did that just shift elsewhere on the market? Did that go to like machine learning and AI or did it go to elsewhere? But it, but it turns out it's probably just down overall. Yeah. What's your thoughts on all of that? Yeah, there was a couple of things and we and there there were some nice um things we'll put in the show notes that people who track VC funding, you know, over the last X number of years have, have put so so some good reports out there to take a look at. I think we saw a couple of things. I think we saw um it was hard and we heard this from from a number of startups that we talked to, like it was hard to get a B round. Um so if you weren't showing you know, a path to fund, you know, path to, to revenue by the end of your A round, or you hadn't gotten the product to where it had, a, you know, some level of adoption uh, by the end of your A round, which, you know, is, is tricky, um, especially since folks were only taking, say, like, you know, 10, $15 million A rounds and so forth and had to hire people. Um, it, we're having a real hard time getting B rounds. And we heard that throughout the year. We heard that early in the year. Um, 
the other thing I, th- I think we saw was, you know, essentially like in our space, I think people were, you know, more hesitant to to give the real big money to some of these these open source projects, right? I think you know, sort of Docker may may end up being one of the last companies that got the really really big round of funding, um, you know, for for an open source project just because the pace of people jumping into open source and um, you know not having a differentiation in that space and so forth made it made it harder. So you know, we definitely saw it, and I and I think if you start to look in through those numbers, uh, the numbers are starting to back up that um, at least for our space, we're not seeing nearly as much VC funding. Yeah, yeah, completely agree. And and for me, it's just a kind of an evolution. Now, I will say this: there is an article, and and it's called "VC Funding Is Down" in the show notes. Um, go read that one in particular. There's a lot of really interesting trends there. And again, it's things we've talked about here of like, oh, well, things maybe are just going, you know, to SaaS offerings. Well, it turns out SaaS offerings are down as well. And the numbers that they they put in there, it's a, if I remember correctly, it's a TechCrunch article. Yeah. Um, but but super fascinating read, and I think it backs up a lot of the the gut feelings uh, we've had, and and that kind of goes into the trends a little bit in the tech stock prices. Do you want to talk about those a little bit? Yeah, I just I, I list them. I, we'll try and get these in the show notes. I just went through and, and sort of said, okay, um, you know, what did what did the market do? What did the market tell us about a bunch of tech stocks? And I think I listed about twenty five of them. Um, and I started off by just saying, okay, what did the market do in general? Because obviously the market was up this year. Uh, the Dow Jones was up, and the the NASDAQ were both up. They were both up roughly 25%. So, you know, good for everybody's portfolio or 401k or, or whatever. Um, but then I tried to sort of compare that to, you know, as a baseline for other tech stocks. And, you know, I, I think in general, we, you know, we saw some, uh, some distinct winners. Um, you know, there was, there was a couple that really sort of jumped out at me, a couple of, um, you know, companies in, on the Asian front, Alibaba was up 98%. Um, who else was real big from from that perspective? Uh, you know, Tencent was up 121. percent So definitely saw some of yeah, the Asian HortonWorks 150. Yeah, HortonWorks and, and Cloudera I included just from an open source perspective. I included Red Hat yeah. as well. Um, you know, and and the the open source ones were all over the place, right? So HortonWorks was up like 150. percent Red Hat was up like 70. percent But then Cloudera was I think down a couple of percentage points. So you know, th- there wasn't necessarily a uh, you know, a specific kind of, you could go like, Oh, all the open sources were up or down. Um, you know, I did, I think we saw some of the legacy companies, um, you know, what, what are sort of now referred to as the old guard. So, I mean, Cisco was up, but they were basically up 26%. So they were with the market. IBM was, was down. HP was down. Um, you know, so you could see some of that and then you saw, you know, you saw the cloud providers were, were up above the benchmark. So, you know, Amazon was up 50%. Google was up 30, you know, high thirties. Microsoft was up high 30. So, you know, the trends we talk about all the time are starting to play out, you know, very much in the market as well in terms of, you know, what they're, what the market is, is voting on their stock price as well. Yeah. Yeah, completely then, agree. Then, I mean, it is it is moving to the, um, you know, again, the big companies of the next generation of tech are probably the public cloud or public cloud related companies. And, and the ones that are hurting right now are the infrastructure companies. I mean, you could say that as a quick summary. And then we're yeah. the, the the I would say the the open source ones is the outlier of, you know, some are up, some are down. And, and the market is probably still figuring all of that out. Right, right. And then, of course, Bitcoin was up 17,000 percent. So, you know, there's. there's <laughs> Your outside, right. there's your right. outlier. So, so what are some other trends for 2017 that we're that we've been kind of seeing in general? Um, I think you know from from an M and A perspective, I think we're seeing you know if I, if we go outside of the industry, 
what was sort of interesting. I mean, so we're seeing really big, uh, we saw some really big industry mergers. Um, and I think, you know, so whether it was like Aetna and CVS for almost $70 billion, or you saw, you know, Disney bought time, uh, uh, 21st century Fox, or you saw AT&T buying time Warner. I think we're seeing people making basically platform bets, right? We're no longer seeing companies kind of, you know, build out their portfolio or sort of adjacencies. We're seeing them go, we're going to buy the whole platform. We're going to try and, you know, consolidate the industry. So I think we're, we're in that phase of, of those big M&A things. Um, and then from a tech perspective, I don't know, we, we listed a whole bunch of things. Um, we, we can jump in and start anywhere. I'll, I'll, I'll start with containers since that's sort of my space. I'll let you jump in with one. Uh, you know, I, I think we're definitely seeing containers become more mainstream. Um, there's nothing sort of unique in that. Uh, the one thing I will sort of caution people in, in that I, I live in this space and I get to see a lot of the behind the scenes numbers, maybe more than gets published is be very, be very wary of some of these like random surveys that come out. You know, it, it's great that companies do the surveys and, but when they're, you know, their sample size is like three or 400 people, or it's like, oh, we did a survey of people that came to, you know, the event or something like that. You know, how often are you using whatever? Um, I don't feel like there's, there's, there's been any great surveys that, that show the breadth of kind of where containers are being used. And I think people are getting some bad data points or they're reading some bad data points into, into, con- oh, hey, hey, Alexa. Sorry. Hey, uh, Alexa. <laughs> Alexa decided to pipe up again. <laughs> so, but uh, yeah, so I'll start with containers. I think, uh, I, I think they're, they're being more widely adopted than the market sort of reporting at this point. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree with you completely. And it's, it's been super interesting watching, you know, uh, people just kind of uh, to continue along that that line, the virtualization trend and then is containers replacing virtualization. And I think everyone by now we can finally, you, you know, everyone is starting to get no, you know, it's additional tool and tool chest the, the, the same way probably serverless is, which is another thing we'll probably talk about. Um, you know, what what I'm finding more and more is everyone is embracing the different tools and the tool chest philosophy, which is a good thing. Yep. Um, uh, and, but then uh, the underlying infrastructures themselves are becoming less and less important. It's just how many tools are on top of those, you know, platforms as you were talking about them earlier. And so, yeah, I'll, I'll take one here, which is more just this trend uh, towards HCI in general. You know, whether it's storage companies, networking companies, doesn't matter who it is. You know, all of the big infrastructure companies are now becoming HCI companies, um, and. One of my biggest initial thoughts on that, because, yeah, I tend to to live and breathe in this space these days, is this idea of is it going to be just 100 percent software defined? Like, you know, I'll kind of use some examples that are, you know, neutral third parties, if you will. vSAN, right? vSAN is is software defined storage on top of commodity hardware. It doesn't matter what kind of hardware it is. Right. Um, and you get a different level of performance characteristics of something like that and different levels of success because of that. And then so it's almost like the build your own versus the reference architectures of like, you know, FlexPod and vSpecs and all that other things we had once upon a time. And then you have the converged infrastructure versions of full-blown vBlocks and FlexPods, um, you know, already built. And you're starting to see that exact same thing in HCI. You're starting to see commodity hardware build your own. You're starting to see some kind of blueprint blueprints of these are certified if you use this kind of combination of kit and then there is the we own the supply chain aspect of it all and so you know everything old is new again of we're seeing the exact same thing as before but we're just seeing it in a slightly different format but you're seeing that still those three different build philosophies 
as the underlying um, concepts to HCI going forward. And it is super interesting to me to watch all of this play out all over again, just like it did, right. um, you know, 10 years ago. Yeah. Um, and and so for me, it's it's interesting because everyone is like, oh, this is different. This is different. I'm like, well, it's it's kind of sort of different. But the underlying how you get there is exactly the same. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I think the I think the flip side to that sort of like everything's old, old is new again, which, you know, we do see a lot of in tech. It's OK. We, we've seen this game plan before. We've seen this playbook played out the same this way before. And um, I, I do think there is sort of an interesting sort of flip side to that, which is. You know the 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 traditional vendors have always been like we're going to come out with a release every X number of months, right? So I always use the analogy of like you know VMware used to come out once a year, and then OpenStack came out every six months, and and now Kubernetes is like every three months. Um, you know we run that with with OpenShift being every three months. It aligns with Kubernetes, and then you have this whole phenomenon of people trying to figure out like, well, when does Amazon come out with stuff, or when do the public cloud providers come out with stuff? And you know it's it's almost become a little bit of a running joke. I mean, we, we had like, we had Corey Quinn on who, who does the, you know, last week in AWS newsletter and, and keeps up with this stuff. It's, you know, the, the public cloud is a different beast, which on one hand, everyone, you know, they, they love to talk about, Hey, we, you know, we release this many features and, and our velocity is this. And then you talk to a lot of people and they're like, I had no idea that came out or how am I supposed to keep up with all these things? And so I, I think there's definitely a, a distinct gap, um, not necessarily saying it's a, it's a good gap, but there's distinctly a gap between, you know, what the, the traditional vendors who have to ship you something that either lives on prem or is a piece of software or whatever, and how you are learning and keeping up with, uh, you know, what, what any of the public cloud providers are doing and them just kind of rolling out features whenever they want to, they don't wait until their trade show. They don't wait until a six month window. It's just whenever. And can people really keep up with all that stuff? It's sort of like keeping up with the news. Well, and I'll, I'll add another layer of complexity on all of that as well. The other thing we're starting to see is the on-prem infrastructure more and more, integrating with and talking to and becoming very seamless with the public clouds. Yep. So this idea of, you know, HCI or secondary storage, all, all of these others, well, they, they almost always to compete have to have some level of public cloud offering or integration as well. And so now you almost have at times a couple times a year cycle, whether it's hardware or software with an, you know, very dynamic, constantly iterating public cloud release model. And so now you not just have two models, but you have two models trying to work together. Yeah. 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 And and I think, you know, the, again, sort of the flip side of that is, we have this interesting dynamic in the industry where if you if you read a lot of the reports that come out or you talk to a lot of CIOs or you know a lot of companies who who aren't startups aren't greenfield will say hey we want some sort of hybrid environment right we have to leave some things on prem and we're going to run things in the public cloud and they they'll call it hybrid or multi cloud and and it's you know we're we're moving into 2018 and i would sort of argue that there really isn't a sort of a a dominant hybrid cloud kind of architecture yet. And I don't know that there's necessarily a, you know, the simplest hybrid cloud. I mean, there's still a lot of things going on and you've got people like Azure trying to make a play of like Azure in the cloud and Azure stack. And, you know, um, people trying to do the, you know, same thing on prem as there is in the cloud, but it's still kind of always got some big monkey wrench in the middle of it. And I, you know, like I'm surprised we haven't advanced further than that, but, but it still feels like, 
we have this mismatch between what the market would really like and what, what the, you know, what the market is delivering. Yeah, that makes, yeah, makes perfect sense. Well, and along those same lines, I know you have some thoughts here around it. This idea of public cloud, um, not just an art as an architecture, but as a portfolio play and, and what is your, you know, what we're seeing way back when was, was public cloud was more of a cost reduction or yeah. we're going to get this kind of savings or we're going to get that kind of savings. I don't feel like anyone really talks about that anymore. No. They tend to talk about it 100% as a, you know, this is a portfolio and this is a portfolio of services and we're, we're adding new services, you know, like the idea of AWS cost reductions. We don't talk about that anymore. No, no, never. Um, and so what's your thoughts on all of that? I, I, I think that's a, I, yeah, I think you sort of, I think you, you started to hit on it. It's, we it used to be, hey, here's um, you know, here's cheap storage in the cloud, or here's cheap compute in the cloud, and and every three months it's going to get cheaper. And and I don't think we ever talk about that anymore. You know, I mean, obviously there's lots of there's lots of really good tools out there to help you manage it, but I think all of the uh, all of the the cloud providers have basically said, look, the game we have to play is I have to have a really really robust portfolio. Right, like I can't play the cheaper game anymore. I have to play the look how complete my portfolio is, um, and then they're and then they're all playing a little bit different game in terms of do I do the Amazon route where I'm basically giving you a gigantic toolbox and you figure out how to integrate them and maybe they're maybe they're easy to integrate, maybe they're not. Um, I think Azure is trying to do a, a more you know sort of Microsofty way of you know thinking about integrating them and giving you more kind of you know a plus b equals c kind of things um but but definitely you know you look at that and and the, and the, the trick to that is those that's great i mean every even the 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 on prem companies have, have tried to do this for a long time right like that was the whole idea of the the emc federation like own all the technology oracle kind of tries to do this but it does make it tough if you go and talk to a company who who's the person you talk to that is the buy everything person Right, you're not going to get a meeting with the CIO every single time, um, and so it does sort of make it weird when you walk in the room and you're like, okay, which silos do I have? Which groups do I have? How does that align to my portfolio? Does my sales force know how to sell that whole thing? Or they only, you know? So I, I think we're we're going to run into some of the same challenges that that the large you know enterprise vendors have run into is what the the large the large clouds are going to run into is that you know just having a slide that shows all the technology you have doesn't mean it'll be easy to sell or you know exactly who to sell to. Yeah. And it's, it's again, a little bit of everything old is new again thing of, okay, if you're going to do that acquisition model. So, you know, along, along the lines, very, very early on in public cloud, you could kind of do the, the, the rogue spending, if you will, of mm-hmm. put it on credit cards and run up a whole bunch of bills. And, um, I don't know what happened there. My phone's freaking out. Sorry about that. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so, but anyway, what, what happens here though, is you're running into this model and we've talked about this before. How do you sell into the enterprise? How do you sell at scale into the enterprise? Right. Well, a lot of times that is, Hey, you got to go build an enterprise sales force. Um, and that is something we have seen, um, the, the, you know, we've seen, uh, Amazon this year, uh, building out an enterprise sales force. We've seen Azure building out an enterprise sales force, and we've even, uh, seen Google start, uh, to build out an enterprise sales force as well. Right. Um, although I would say, and that's actually going to go into some of my predictions, um, you know, Google, I think is in this area struggles and it's something we've talked about, uh, before is, you know, if they could just 
figure out how to crack the enterprise, but I don't know if it's in their DNA. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And that's that's just a harder, larger topic uh, that we can talk about another time. But but for me, um, you know, this public cloud, the bigger it gets, the more traditional it has to get. Yeah, I think so. And I, and I think, you know, it, it kind of goes back to everything, everything, everything old is new again, everything new is, is old again in IT. It's, you know, you'll go through these five and seven year cycles and you'd be like, okay, okay, it was, it was hype. And now it's back to, okay, the old way of buying things or, or a known way of buying things, if you will. Um, and, you know, maybe, maybe things like per second, per minute billing will, will take off. And, and obviously there'll be, a group of people that love that, right? Typically it ends up being the startups, but it, it may end up being that, you know, we've moved past the startups, are the ones who love it. And now it's the, the experimenters in, in large enterprises, right? So the centers of excellence, the CTO's office, the, you know, big data group that's trying to, you know, quote unquote, do digital transformation. Maybe that per minute per second billing is, is going to be the thing that unlocks their, their new creativity. But it's not something yet that, that is sort of a everybody understands thing yet. And that, and that takes a while. Yeah, completely. You want to, uh, any other trends you want to talk about before we move on to 2018? No, I think, I mean, I think we hit on a lot of them and, and if we did forget them, they're in the show notes. So folks can go back and, and take a look at some of them. Um, but those are, those are some of the ones I think that, that kind of affect our space the most, uh, you know, that we, that we hit on. Yeah. What, what about, tra- you know, I, I think, um, you know, as we look at, we always try and project for the year. We, you know, we, we always have these grand ambitions around this time of year and we say, Hey, we're going to, we're going to do sort of what they call a quote unquote editorial calendar. We're going to map out the show for the next six to nine months and it's going to help us get guests. And, you know, and then like, you know, like every, um, you know, new year's resolution, it sort of fizzles out. But what are some of the areas that as we're thinking about what to cover for the year, what do you, what do you think we ought to be maybe focusing a little more on than we have in the past? Um, so one of the biggest ones that I want to actually explore is more the idea of where is the emerging tech going? Um, and what I mean by that is let's be really honest for a second. If you combine all all of those trends and stories we talked about, VC funding is down, the, the amount of infrastructure startups is down, um, which therefore means us being an emerging tech podcast, uh, our pool of guests is going down. And so, you know, for me, it's, it you know, where is the next uh, really big set of interesting emerging tech? Is it serverless? Is it, you know, some of the voice stuff? Is it AI and ML? Um I'll be completely honest with you. I don't know, but I'm really fascinated with just the the concept of edge computing okay. right now in general. Um, for me, you know, no matter what we kind of call a lot, a lot of this stuff, um, it seems to be everything is is going towards the edge of you know that core infrastructure is maybe solved by either on-prem or public cloud, well, that edge stuff, whether it's a whole bunch of devices all talking, um, you know, and, and ingesting data, or whether it's a whole bunch of devices that need some kind of logic uh, before, you know, they, they kind of develop some trends and things like that. Um, that. That's the big topic for me that I want to unpack, but I don't quite know where it will lead yet. Right. I completely right. admit that. Yeah. So that's for me the big one. Yeah. Well, and the nice thing about edge computing is it 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 brings us back an opportunity to to blame the network for stuff, um, you know, for for why things aren't <laughs> going well. So that's always a good always a good trend in, in things. I, to me, there, there's a couple that are, they're starting to jump off the page. One is um, 
like I'm wondering if there should be like a wanted poster uh, up on you know billboards or you know signpost or whatever. Like, what happened to DevOps? You know, like the the I don't feel like the DevOps crowd is nearly as vocal as they used to be. I'm wondering if people are are starting to sort of sour a little bit on DevOps, um, or if the DevOps crowd is now going okay. Uh, it wasn't as easy as I thought. There wasn't sort of like a miracle drug to to become DevOps. So now we're going to start calling ourselves SRE. And do we start seeing SRE days and does, does, does SRE take over the old DevOps crowd? Um, or is it really truly something different because, you know, they, they've sort of uh, figured out sort of how to culturalize this, you know, bringing together dev and ops and automating a lot of things and, and, and doing some. So, so that's an area that'll be sort of interesting to me. The other one is, you know, you go back to your, your question of like, where's the innovation going to come from? Uh, you know, we highlighted that people like Alibaba and Tencent did really, really well last year. Um, maybe it comes from sort of our, our non-Silicon Valley locations. Maybe we need to be, you know, more in tune with what's going on in Asia, what's, what's going on in China. Um, it'll make it a little tricky for the show just because of time zones and so forth. But, um, you know, I would love to get some guests from that region of the country or region of the country, region of the world and, and understand, you know, what does your innovation curve look like? Where's innovation coming from? Is it coming from the universities? Do you have robust VC funding? How is, how is that happening? So that's an area that I, I definitely think we, uh, we should explore this year. Yeah, absolutely. And, and for all of our listeners out there, if you have any ideas, uh, especially when it comes to international guests or our inter- international topics, that's that's an area we're always looking to explore. But but we completely admit that's, you know, one of the things we maybe don't dig into as much when it comes to time constraints for the show. It's sometimes you just go to what's easy. Right? Right. We completely admit that. And so when we're trying to expand ourselves out in 2018, that's something we want to do. Um, I'll kind of take the, the next couple um, and combine them together in, in the show notes. Um, I want to explore AI and ML a, a lot more. Um, and by the way, you know, go listen again, go listen to Sam's show that, you know, go back and, and listen to, um, Sam Charrington, uh, who had a guest on the show not too long ago, but go listen to his show. Um, but we are, I will say this, you know, of all of the areas we've talked about, you know, we've said, Oh, VC funding is going here or going there or not going here or not going there. Um, I'm surprised at the lack of well, – I shouldn't say I'm surprised. Um, it is it is maybe makes sense on some level that the lack of funding going into serverless right now, um, but the amount of VC funding going into AI and ML is just insane right now. When right. you look at the number of players in that market, I mean – it is it is pretty crazy, and it does feel like will there be an AI and ML bubble for VC funding at some point, the way there was for infrastructure. Yeah, and I, and I feel like the AI and, and ML stuff is still at least unless unless maybe you live and breathe in that community and you've been in that community for a really long time. Like to me, it's hard to tell the difference between one new uh, new company and, and the next and kind of what their messaging is and you know why they're different and um you know i know we had like like bonsai was on the show bonsai ai and and they were somewhat unique in saying hey we're going after like industrial uh, applications right so like factories and and supply chain and stuff and and so you know that sort of makes sense okay it's different than the um you know ai for consumer or something but you know i, I feel like there's a ton of money pouring in because the the venture community doesn't want to miss out on it because obviously it's huge. It's going to impact autonomous vehicles and drones and all these other, you know, what could be big industries, but it still feels very hard to, to figure out what, where the, where the trends are, like what's the leaderboard look like. And then it also feels like it's still 
way, way, way too complicated to really get value out of it. Um, and maybe that's just, you don't have enough data, so you don't have enough value, but something feels way too complicated still. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. And it's, you know, we're in those early days of not just figuring out the use cases, but figuring out uh, the, the products themselves and product market fit. Um, right, right. I'm going to kind of, kind of transition into another one that's related, but not related all at the same time. And that's the voice technologies in general. And I'll kind of ask you, I didn't ask you this ahead of time, but I'll ask you like, how much do you still use your Alexa or Google home or both? Um, I have both sitting on my desk and I know you have both sitting in your kitchen. So do you use them more? Do you use them less? And thoughts on the future of that? I've got some thoughts here, but I wanted to, you know, aside from people listening to it for the, for the podcast, I, I mean, we use it primarily from music devices. Um, you know, I think we found that, they're still, I mean, there, there is a certain aspect of it that, that the voice recognition is amazing. I mean, it can, you can have a lot of people in the room and you can, you can yell out to Alexa to, you know, turn the volume down or up or, so, I mean, they, they've kind of cracked that part of the voice recognition, the, it's far better than like Surrey. So, so some of the home assistants are better, but in terms of like the experience of it being a, a smart device to help answer questions for you, I feel like it's still stuck on you know, it has to exactly fit a certain format question. Um, it doesn't do well with kind of abstract questions or, you know, things along those lines. And so, you know, yeah, it's, it's okay. It's a great music device, but other than that, it's, it hasn't, yeah, you're right. It hasn't grown in adoption. And for me, so actually it was, I just read an article this morning that said the, the echo dot was the most, um, given Christmas gift on Amazon, which I thought yeah. was pretty amazing. So, you know, there's people still doing it and there's still people trying it. Um, and I will say this, you know, I, I actually use ours a lot, but for me, it is 100% the home automation, home assistant kind of market of setting timers or remind me of this or add this to my shopping list right, or, right. you know, or play, play music. But but for me, I will say this, that probably the advantage and disadvantage, we've talked about this previously, of the Amazon ecosystem, the skills are both good and bad. The reason why I say that is because once you get a decent number of skills enabled, you can't remember how to invoke the damn things. Right, right, um, right, 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 right <laughs> And exactly. it's like, oh gosh, what's the name of that skill? And you're trying to do it and you can't invoke it. Then you get to pull up your phone and look up the name of the skill anyway and and so unfortunately for me, I hit a wall when it came to go, actually going out, before, you know, more than a couple different skills outside of the built-in Amazon Alexa ecosystem. Right, right. And so when, you know, and it, it was mainly the skills uh, barrier of what was the name of those skills. Um, and so for that, that became a problem. And Google kind of has the opposite of they have more of a closed model of where you're not necessarily enabling skills or calling out skills by name. But then I can't remember how to invoke them on them because they don't have skills names. They're all kind of built in. And so neither of them i wanted i wanted to do more with them but it almost was like a limitation of the voice systems or, and maybe it's just the amount of stuff i can store in my head and not look at a screen on yeah. um yeah. so that was more the you know but but you know do i still use it all the time yes do i use it for new things no 
Yeah, yeah, and I and I think the I think the takeaway from that is, um, you know, they're obviously it's getting cheaper. Um, they're obviously learning more because more people are using them, and they're you know they're getting into more households. I I, I think the voice back the voice aspect of it, especially if you listen to people that follow this space, and you know whether you follow like an A sixteen Z podcast or something else, um, you know I, I think people are starting to come around to the idea that that voice is becoming sort of one of the new mediums that that you you want to somehow make a part of what you do because there is there is a human element uh that that could become very interesting and, and the you know the ai in the back end can make that more interesting but yeah i completely agree with you the the user experience of it is is you know hasn't caught up to the hype of it yet um definitely uh but you know definitely would be good for us to get back some folks who who are living in this voice space and figure out like how has it advanced what do we not know about that that you know people are, are beginning to experiment with so definitely a, an area yeah. for us to, to explore well, listen, Agreed. we've been we've been going for a long time. Um, why don't we get into uh, we we've kind of got out of the out of the prediction business um, somewhat. I mean, I think we still make some predictions, but but they're less kind of really specific and more kind of just general. Where, you want to you want to jump into some of the predictions we had we had written down and just kind of riff on them for a few minutes? Yeah, absolutely. So um, and actually, I, I've I had another one that I wanted to kind of uh, throw out there as well. In addition to all of these, um, but I'll just start at the top here and um, a continued decline of the middleman in all of our industries. Um, and, and I, you know, it's one of those we're seeing, we've seen this as a trend, but at some point too, does everything start to accelerate? You know, the biggest thing we're seeing is a lot of these trends, they kind of creep up on you, creep up on you. And then all of a sudden, boom, they just accelerate. And is this the year that we see that acceleration. That's that's more where I would like to go with the with the thoughts of all of this. We're seeing, uh, you know, we're seeing less and less of anything in the middle. Doesn't matter what it is. Call it anything in that middle. It is it is less and less steps to get from point A to point B. That the technologies themselves, by their very nature, are just becoming extremely disruptive. Right. Right. Yeah. I think. I think you have to say, you know, we said, you know, let's say four, five, six years ago, like you couldn't be a startup company if you were, say, like buying data center space, right? Like it was the VCs were going to give you less money and you had to go directly to one of the public clouds because it was like, don't own those assets. And I think the the sort of corollary to that or the, the follow on to that is becoming um, the successful sort of startup companies can't have a middleman like you can't even begin to think about your business model having a middleman in it and you know we hear this all day long for anybody who listens to podcasts of you know whether it's like food delivery or uh, you know the new ways that you shop for clothes they're going to just send the clothes directly to you or whatever it is um, but we're seeing this in everything I've seen it like with with Uber and Lyft you no longer you know have a middle you don't have a taxi dispatcher uh, you know Uber you don't have to you know go through sort of like a, a buying service to find a hotel room but I think we're going to see this in in a lot of different things. I mean, obviously, we've seen it with IT with with the public cloud, but um, I think it's going to be very hard if you're a middleman uh, to you're going to have to figure out a very very unique value proposition to continue to be very relevant. Yep, agreed. And kind of moving on, and this one is is along the accelerating trends as well. So the the concept of as um, public cloud uh, becomes more mainstream and continues to increase in adoption. What do we do with those costs? Those costs also have to become mainstream. And who manages them and how do they manage them? Not not just, you know, like our our, our good friends over at Cloudability, you know, a third-party service or any of those, but how does, um, you know, 
Fortune 100 companies start to manage their cloud spend. And this to me goes to, and we've talked about it before, the, this idea of, you know, some of the jobs uh, at the turn of the century weren't around in the previous century kind of thing. And this to me is a new growth area, not just of in costs, but but have entire teams in enterprises or other customers that are cost related or systems architecture related, but are 100% dedicated to public cloud and public cloud aspects. Um, this is going to be, you know, is this going to be uh, a new area for job growth? Quite frankly, I think it is. I think, I think there's definitely, I I think we're definitely going to, going to have to reach a point where like, look, we, we, we've had people who understood for a long time, like, you know, the cost of a port was this, or the cost of a gigabyte was this, or, you know, that was sort of their job. And, you know, that had become kind of fixed in the industry. There were people who just knew how much certain technology cost. Um, but you never heard them talk about that in the context of, you know, what it meant to the business, right? Like, okay, we, we just bought $10 million worth of kit. Well, what is that going to do to, to impact the business? Yeah, you could, tell you how much faster response time is i think we're going to start to see people who are who are fluent enough in kind of how the cost structures work for say public cloud and so forth that when they sit down with a line of business person and they go hey uh, we're going through our sort of innovation roadmap we're going through our, our new ideas roadmap we're listening to the sales force tell us what they want they'll be able to say you know very clearly like okay uh, that experiment that to roll out that kind of program is going to cost exactly this much. And, you know, this is where the, the growth blips are going to be. So if we, you know, if we, we get above 50,000 users, there's going to be this step up or there's going to be, I think we're going to see that start to happen really quickly because that, that whole idea of, you know, I want to roll out something new and it may not be sort of a long-term permanent asset. It's going to be, you know, a new program for some event that we're doing. Um, I think people are going to get really smart about that and not to say that you won't need the tools like the cloud abilities or you won't need, you know, somebody really smart like what Rodrigo Flores is doing at Accenture and, and other things. But I think you're going to have people that are fluent in that. Just like, you know, if I asked you, Hey, you know, if you want to take a family for a four down to Disneyland for a week, like what does that cost? Like people just know what that costs because it's a regular everyday type of thing that people are talking about. Agreed. Agreed. You want to move on to the next one? Yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to throw this last one out there and, and, you know, we'll see how far this one sort of goes, but you know, my, my, we don't cover security a lot on the show. We do sometimes, and we always sort of immediately say, Hey, we're not security gurus. So if you come on the show, I hope you're a guru because, you know, and I hope you are okay that we ask dumb questions because, you know, I think the security world is, is a unique sort of place. But given all the breaches we've seen, we've seen the, you know, the Equifax breach, we see, you know, I think we've become a little bit numb to the fact that like your social security numbers are floating out there. People are, you know, okay with putting things out on the internet. And it sort of begs the question, like, does security really matter anymore? Um, I say that sort of, you know, hypothetically or, you know, kind of rhetorically, but I almost wonder what do we have to see for people to kind of get back into being, you know, at, at a mainstream level, not just the CISO people worried about security. Do we have to have, you know, autonomous cars driving off into the, into the Grand Canyon? Do we have to have like, you know, a, a power outage that we know was, was driven because, you know, somebody, you know, hacked into the, into the data grid or the, the power grid. I mean, like what, what's going to make us come back to caring that like our data is floating around all over the place and it's constantly getting hacked and, and the breach, the breaches are bigger and bigger. Yeah. And my, my thoughts on this is actually, 
I think the model that has existed to date is not the model that can be used going forward. And that's why you're seeing a certain amount of fatigue in the market is mm-hmm. just the model doesn't fit and there's no way to fix it in the current model. And so, you know, I'll, I'll take, um, again, this may be a United States centric example, but, um, you know, if we assume all of our social security numbers are kind of floating around on the internet somewhere, um, it, that then means the you know the big three uh, credit reporting agencies have a limited number of use unless um, you do the the credit freeze, which basically means you have to call them to you know it, it's instead of default open, it's default closed. Of the only way to get credit is for you to unfreeze your credit, and and I, so I think what we start to see is actually new process um, start to supplement everything where it it. it embraces something like that to fix it. Um, and, and so for me, um, I agree there's probably even bigger events that need to happen, but then those bigger events then force a change in the policies and those change in policies become the new normal. Yeah. Going yeah. It's, al- it's almost like, you know, this is a terrible analogy, but it's almost like you need to have, you know, a nine 11 scale kind of awareness event, yeah, in order to to make something happen, and you know, I, I, do we want the TSA of security to happen? Uh, maybe, maybe not, right? I mean, people obviously want their money protected, their privacy protected, but how far how far will people are willing to go to sort of you know build that new system that you're talking about, and and then who should sort of be in charge of it? Should it be a regulated thing? Should it not be a regulated thing? I don't, I have no idea what the answers are. I'd love to get some opinions from people on on what that is. You know, aside from the opinions of like, hey, let, let's all build a bomb shelter and uh, you know get some canned beans, but uh. Some good intelligent opinions on that we'd love to have on the show. Yeah. Yep. And I'm going to throw one last uh, prediction out there because I think that was the last of our predictions. Okay. You're predicting, um, predicting Clemson? Uh, that's right. Um, the And it's more of like a, it's a combination of a prediction and a little bit of begging. Um, so uh, it's just about Google in general and, and Google Cloud Platform more specifically. Um, I think this is their make or break year. And what I mean by that is, you know, you've, you know, we've all kind of said and, and predicted the rise of certain big public clouds, you know, that's come up, you know, and then way back when it was the billion dollar investments, right? IBM and all these others, it was a billion dollar investment to get involved in the market. And then Simon Wardley and others were like, nope, it's not even a billion. And then everyone found out, nope, it wasn't. And so you really had the, the rise of what we would call the big three, um, AWS, Azure and, and Google Cloud. But I think everyone talks about them, but Google Cloud is always kind of that dangling third. Yep. And the reason why is because Google, for you know all of their products over the years, they don't always necessarily say they're in or they're out. They always kind of dabble. And I think this is the year where they have to go, okay, if we're serious about the enterprise and if we're serious about being a a true public cloud and this being a recognizable, recognizable revenue stream for the company, this is the year. Because AWS and Azure are turning up the heat and starting to really do the investments. And like you were, we were saying earlier, it's a platform. And the longer time goes by that they don't really go all in on something like that, the gap widens. Yeah, I have a little. So I agree with you. I, I Whether it's make or break this year, it's hard to say. They have a lot of money, so you can stay in the game for a long time. Um, 
I, I think a different way of, of, of phrasing what you just said, and, and you know, we've given this feedback to Google for a long time, and we've, we've always sort of joked that like Google has a hard time talking to people because it's, it's not in their DNA. They talk to data. They don't talk to people. Um, I, I think the way to think about it is if you were Google and you got into the game, say, five or six years ago when it was really just super early adoption, um, you know, it was, you know, we hadn't crossed the chasm yet. Your technology and the the coolness of your technology would have appealed to startups, and you could have sold startups on the idea that like you have the coolest technology, it's going to help them be bleeding edge because you're bleeding edge, and you know you could talk about sort of simplified pricing and and so forth and all the cool things that Google does. Now we're we've crossed the chasm, right? We're into the mainstream people that that use the public cloud. What that means is you're now dealing with people who have a history of dealing with, with IT in a certain way, right? It goes back to this theme we've had the whole show, which is like everything old is new again, and everything new becomes old again. And which means, you know, the key to your success isn't necessarily going to be the coolest technology. It's going to be, can you, you know, can you sell to the enterprise, right? And can you talk to the enterprise and can you, you know, endure long sales cycles, which the enterprise has? Can you deal with long RFPs, which the RF, which the, the enterprise has, which sometimes seem asinine, but they are what they are. And and to me, that's the bigger challenge from Google's DNA of, of not liking to talk to people and just wanting to make everything data. Um, I'm going to be very much watching to see if Google hires people that have some of that experience. I haven't seen it. I know they've hired a lot of really smart people, but not necessarily people who you know, have a bunch of battle scars of, of having been enterprise and are willing to put that face on Google. Um, you know, and, and so, you know, again, not, we try not to be negative on Google because the technology is very cool and, um, they, they power a lot of really powerful things and they're doing cool stuff with the community like Kubernetes. But I think that's another way of looking at the, why isn't Google higher up in the, you know, in the big three than they are. Yeah. Agreed. And don't get me wrong. I'm rooting for them because yeah, I, I, I love the tech and I, I think they have great offerings and, but I just don't think enough people have embraced it yet um, for all kinds of various, various reasons. But yes, absolutely. That's, that's a great point. Yeah. yeah. Well, listen, man, we have, uh, we have gone for a long time. We are sneaking up on an hour. Uh, people have probably lost. Are we really? People, oh, crap. Pe- people okay. have probably yep. long since turned, turned the show off. So why don't we uh, wrap it up for the year, folks? Thank you so much for listening uh, to everybody who listens, tells a friend, rates the show. Uh, it's been a great year. Uh, it's been great to have more people join the show. And uh, uh, just, you know, I guess a big thank you to everybody for listening, you know, for this whole show and, and for the whole year. And uh, Aaron, want to wrap it up and take us home? Yeah, absolutely. So just wanted to say, uh, everyone, again, thank you for listening. And uh, we'll be back uh, next week. Uh, new year, new guests. And right. everyone, thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to The Cloudcast. Please visit thecloudcast.net to find more podcasts, show notes, and everything social media. And visit acloud.guru for all your cloud training needs.